Morning, church. If I haven't met you, I'm Addison. I get to serve as the director of student ministry here at Siddle Square, which is our middle school and high school ministry. And it is a joy to be able to do that, but it's also a joy to be able to come up here and to continue in our series through Luke and to open up God's word for us this morning. So as you start at the beginning of the new year, many of you are probably looking forward towards something. You might not be a resolutions or a goal person, but I think all of us, if we were to take a step back, would look, would think forward and think, I want this to happen in the future. Whether that's something this year or that's something in the years to come, all of us, no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're old or young, all of us have this thought in our head of, I can't wait until fill in the blank. I can't wait until fill in the blank. Maybe you're a student here today and you're in class and you have your head and your nose stuck in books all day and you're saying, I cannot wait until I no longer have to study for a test or take an exam. Maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you are on the back end of your career and you're just sitting there and you're just counting down the days and you're like, I cannot wait until I begin I can pull out retirement, I can live, I don't have to wake up when someone else tells me to wake up, I can wake up when I want to and do the things that I want to. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're like me, over the past couple weeks, you've looked at your grocery bill, we shop at Aldi, and you're just thinking, man, I cannot wait until the price of eggs starts to come back down (laughs) to normal. Um, But all that to say, those are surface level waitings, but I don't wanna gloss over the fact that some of you in this room are waiting for very significant moments in your life to happen. Maybe the past couple years, for whatever reason, you've been under a cloud of depression. And you're just sitting there, I cannot wait until I feel like myself again. Or maybe this past couple years, your life and your family life has been marked by hardships, whether that's health diagnosis, whether that's something with your business, whether that's just family relationships, and you're just sitting here thinking, I cannot wait until this is behind me. No matter what season of life you're in, all of us are waiting for something. And it's not just something, all of us are waiting for redemption at its core. We're all waiting for the relief of something or the improvement of something else. And what we're gonna see here in this text this morning in Luke chapter two, we're gonna see two individuals who are waiting. And I think the manner by which they wait and what they wait for is instructive for us as a church on how we ought to wait, what we ought to actually wait for as we live in this world today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn it to Luke chapter two. We're gonna be in verses 25 through 40. 25 through 40. As a way of reminder, For those who have been with us for a while, we've been studying through the gospel of Luke. Jesus has been born. Um, Last week, we saw Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple in accordance to the law so that they might consecrate Jesus as the firstborn to the Lord, but also to provide a ceremonial cleansing for Mary. And we saw that this was significant because in order for Jesus to be Israel's redeemer. In order for Jesus to be the redeemer of God's people, Jesus himself must accomplish all that is required of Israel and God's people. He needs to be a perfect representative. He needs to be a perfect sacrifice. And we saw early on, before Jesus could even speak, when he was six weeks old, 
that he, through his parents' obedience and faithfulness, is still perfectly righteous. And as Joseph and Mary arrive at the temple, the center of God's worship for his people, with the promised redeemer, what happens next is going to surprise them. The text actually tells you that Mary and Joseph will marvel at what they encounter here in the temple. So we're gonna read really quickly through verse 25. Actually, let me pray for us real quick and then we'll get into the text. Um, Heavenly Father, we um, know that your word is living and active. Um, Lord, we um, trust um, that as your word is taught and as it is spoken, that your spirit will use it to confront our sins, to encourage us in our doubts and to shape us as a church. So Lord, I pray that as we walk through this text this morning, that we will be shaped by your word, that we would love you and the gospel more and that we would be encouraged and delight in the God of the gospel. Probably sings in Christ's name, amen. All right, verse 25, we're gonna read. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Luke immediately in this section, he grabs your attention by saying now. He wants us to lean in and pay attention because he's going to tell us that this, route, this visit to the temple is not gonna be a normal routine visit for Mary and Joseph. And if you've ever traveled with young kids in your life, you know that every travel plan is disrupted eventually um, going forward. And this is what's gonna happen here with Mary and Joseph. That in the midst of their faithfulness to God, God's going to send a divine interruption into their path. So Luke then shifts our focus away from Mary and Joseph for a minute and we're, he puts the spotlight on a man named Simeon. We don't know much about Simeon. We don't know his family life. We don't know his vocation. It doesn't really tell us a lot, but it tells us a few things. We learn that Simeon is righteous and devout, which means that this is a pious man who has deeply held religious beliefs and that he is a man of integrity. This is a guy whose whole life is, the center of his life is his religion, his worship of Yahweh, going to the temple, adhering to the law. This is a very upstanding, right man. And like all of us, we are told that this man, Simeon, is waiting for something. It tells us that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, consolation means comfort or relief of. So Simeon here is waiting for the relief of Israel. But what exactly does that mean? What exactly, what types of, of relief is he awaiting here in the temple? For most Jews, they were waiting for the relief of their political oppressors. For, so for 700 years, God's people, Israel, has been subjected to foreign powers. It began with exiles in Assyria and Babylon, then later under the rules of the Persians, and then the Greeks, and now the Romans, which is arguably the worst ruler to be under out of all of those. So for 700 years, God's people has been subject to oppression. They have not been able to self-rule themselves and they long to get back to the moment, back in their glory days where King David and King Solomon were leading the nation and that they were a glory to the other nations. So Simeon embodies this waiting. He's awaiting deliverance. He's awaiting for justice. He's awaiting for restoration of what he longs for. And the text tells us here that not only that, but the Holy Spirit was upon him. We see the third person of the Trinity set Simeon apart for a specific purpose. 
And we're gonna see what that purpose here is in the next few verses. Follow along with me in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We are told that Simeon receives this special revelation from God, that he has promised that you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ, the promised redeemer of Israel. We aren't told necessarily how long, how long ago Simeon received this revelation from God, but many commentators and some context clues tells us it's been a significant amount of time from when he received this special revelation from God and in where we are right now in the temple. Just for a second, put yourself in Simeon's shoes. This is a man whose entire life has been wrapped around worship of Yahweh, worship in the temple. This is a man who has seen time and time again the oppression of God's people. This is a man who's waiting for deliverance and justice and it hasn't come to the people before him 700 years of continued oppression. And now this is a man sitting here and the word of the Lord comes to him and says, within your lifetime, you will see the Lord's Christ the redeemer of Israel. Can you imagine what that would do for you? For me, if I was waiting, that would just grow my anticipation and longing for the redemption to come, knowing that it is within grasp. And so what Simeon does with this revelation, he does what every Jew would probably do. He's led by, well, this particular Jew is led by the spirit to the temple where you would expect for the Messiah to show up. So verse 27, it continues on. He says, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So the text tells us he came into the spirit, into the temple. And I want you to notice that this is the third time in three verses that Luke introduces and tells us that it was the Spirit's activity happening right here in the life of Simeon. And I, I believe that reveals to us that this is not a random coincidence. What's about to, this encounter that Simeon's about to have is a preordained moment by God. The Spirit brings Simeon to the temple at the very moment, see, not coincidence, very moment that Mary and Joseph arrive with Jesus and I want you to think, this is not like Simeon has been given a wanted poster, right? He's not able to walk into this temple with a picture of what Israel's redeemer looks like. He's not able to like match faces and see. He's going into this temple fully dependent upon the spirit to reveal to him who the Lord's redeemer is. And we have no context clues that actually suggest that he's expecting to see it in a six-week-old baby. And so he comes into this temple Know by the spirit, knowing that maybe today is the day that I put my eyes on my redemption. And there's likely many other families there as well. It's not, it's a crowded temple. So he comes into the temple, fully reliant on the spirit. And in a moment we see, he said, and he came into the spirit, when, into the temple, when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do what was according to law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, that in a moment, all of Simeon's waiting, all of Simeon's longing was met with the person of Jesus Christ. That all of his longings and hopes come together at a particular point in history that his redeemer is here. The spirit of God gives Simeon the sight to see and to recognize God's Christ. 
which is the only way that any of us ever get to see Jesus, that the spirit of God gives us sight to see the majesty and the wonder of who Jesus is, to truly behold him as savior and as a redeemer and as God. And in a moment of excitement and worship from seeing his redeemer, Simeon does what every young parent is afraid of when you go out in public. He picks up their newborn child out of their mother's hands. And you're just like, as a new, as a new parent, I'm like, oh gosh, it's, it hits. But yes, he does exactly what every new parent is afraid of. But what he does is he picks this baby up and he blesses God for the baby and he testifies to who he is in the temple. I mean, he's gonna give us kind of his, his blessing here. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. That Simeon begins with this note of relief. You can feel the anticipation leading up to this moment of, am I going to see the Lord's Redeemer? Am I going to see the promised Redeemer? And in a moment, you have relief. He's saying, you're letting your servant now depart in peace. By seeing the Christ again, he is reminded that God is faithful to his word. That God is always faithful to his word. That when God promises to do something, it is a guarantee it will always come to pass. And in the midst of all this excitement, I want you to see something. I want you to to miss this crucial part of the story. But the, the answer to Simeon's waiting was Jesus. It was Jesus. It wasn't anything else. It was to behold the Lord's Christ. The moment he laid his eyes on the Lord's Christ, he experienced peace and he experienced the relief that he so desperately wanted and longed for. But why? Why did he experience relief in this moment? He tells us in verse 30, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon has waited his whole life for salvation for come, for redemption to come to his people. And now he gets to see it with his own physical eyes. But notice what Simeon says. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He doesn't say my eyes have seen Jesus. He doesn't say my eyes have seen the Messiah. And this is significant because Luke and Simeon are not going to let us disconnect the person of Jesus from the purpose of Jesus right? He's not going to allow us just to see Jesus as a man who came to live a perfect life, all those kind of things. He's connecting Jesus to the salvation that he will buy and that he will purchase later, which is to come and save that which is lost. This was Jesus' purpose, to come and die for that which is lost. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. There is no salvation under any other name than Jesus Christ. And in Simeon, we see the paradox of the gospel here that to see God's salvation, that Simeon is seeing God's salvation in a six-week-old child that was born into a poor family. I don't know about you, but if I was to come up with the story of the gospel of how Israel's redeemer and God's people's redeemer would come into the world, it would not be through a poor family and a six-year-old child. I would probably do something a little bit more extravagant than that. I would, I would hope that the promised redeemer would come through an influential family with power, that he would actually come as an adult kind of ready to get to work. But this is not how 
our Redeemer entered into the world. This is not how Israel's Redeemer entered into the world. He entered in as a baby that was helpless into a poor family. I think that just reveals something very crucial about God's character and heart that he would come to us in the way that he did. And as Simeon kind of continues on in, in his blessing in verse 31, it says that, that you have prepared in the presence of all people. So for my eyes, I've seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people, Israel. As Simeon continues to see that God's vision for redemption is so much bigger than just for Israel, that it includes all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every nation under this world. And this shouldn't surprise us that this has been God's plan from the beginning, even when he made his covenant with Abraham. He said, he came to Abraham and he said, I will make you into a great nation and a great people and a great blessing, a great nation and a great blessing. And through your family line, all the families in the earth shall be blessed, meaning all the families of the earth shall experience the presence of God. And then we see this actually in Isaiah 49, 6, where God promises to restore Israel and make them a light to the nations so that his salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Jesus is not just the redeemer of Israel. He is the redeemer of all people. He is both the savior of Israel and of Gentiles. But notice here his relationship, he engages with them in different way. For the Gentiles, he is a light of revelation. Now this, this idea of Jesus being a light was already introduced to us in chapter one during Zechariah's prophecy, where he prophesies that a child will come as a light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That this coming of Jesus inaugurates, reveals God's grand plan to always include the Gentiles. The coming of Jesus reveals to the world that God's plan from the beginning was to save Gentiles and to have his name known and worshiped among all the nations. That the promises of redemption and restoration, those have already come to Israel. They've already see, received God's revelation. So if Jesus doesn't come to reveal God's revelation to Israel, what does he do? He comes to glorify Israel. And Israel's glorified in the fact that through Israel, the redeemer of the world comes. That we can always point back that Jesus came out of Israel. And it was through Jesus that all of us can have a redeemer. So Simeon communicates to all of us, not just Israel, that our wait is over. The one with whom our hearts long for, the one that you're ultimately waiting for is here. And he has a name and his name is Jesus Christ. And while all of this is happening, another character is introduced to us. I want you to actually, we're gonna skip a few verses. We're gonna come back to, I want you to skip down to verse 36. We'll hit 33 and 35 through 35 in a few minutes. But I want to show you another individual like Simeon who is waiting for redemption and is at the temple at the very same moment as Simeon and Joseph and Mary. Verse 36, and it says, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in her years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So Anna, this prophetess is introduced to us and her life is summarized in a few verses 
But within these few verses, we just see incredible hardship and heartbreak. We learn that she is an elderly widow, probably close to 100 years old, and that she became a widow early in her life. That most of her life, she has been sitting with grief and pain of living without the one of whom she made a covenant with, without her husband. And in the midst of this deep, devastating loss, she is waiting. And I think this is really significant for us. That Luke pulls out to us that some of us in this room, some of us in our life will have to wait in the midst of deep suffering and deep pain. The Bible doesn't gloss over the human condition. It doesn't gloss over pain or suffering. It actually highlights it. That many of us are going to have to wait in the midst of suffering. And it will likely be one of the most grueling things that you experience in your life, this ability to wait in the midst of pain, as this woman does. There are some of you here this morning who are waiting in the midst of pain and you've just been praying for years and years and years for a relief of that pain. And what this is going to happen this morning is Anna's going to show us where the hope, the source of our longing should be, where we should put our eyes while we are in the midst of pain, waiting for redemption. So in the midst of great pain and suffering, when her life did not turn out the way that she had hoped, look at where she goes. The text describes her as being in the temple day and night, fasting and praying for one thing, redemption, for restoration, for salvation. And there's something beautiful and unique and impactful about praying with elderly saints, right? There's something just impactful about being able to listen in on the prayer life of someone who's walked with Jesus years and years and years longer than I have. I don't know if this is, is true for you, but my prayers often feel like a shotgun blast, like a little spray, like they just go in many different directions and they're just pointed at the thing like right here, like right in front of my face. But one of the joys of being in a church like ours is that we have men and women who have walked with Jesus for so long. And what that does to their prayer life, it distills it down to the most important thing. And when I listen into their prayers, it's not like a shotgun blast where you're just kind of jumping from one thing to another. It's like a rifle shot where it's the most important thing. They just block out everything else. And it's one of the biggest joys of being a part of this church. I get to hear the saints pray because my prayers sound nothing like that. And it's impactful for me. And this is what she does day in and day out. She is longing and waiting for one thing, redemption, restoration. And in a moment, all of her waiting and all of her fasting and all of her praying were proven not to be in vain. Because in verse 38, we see here, and coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So at the very same hour that Simeon recognizes Jesus as the Christ is the same hour that Anna begins to overflow with thankfulness and worship for God for sending the Christ. And this is significant for us because Luke is very careful. Luke is setting up an orderly account for us 
so that we might have certainty about who Jesus is. And he's so smart that he's always going to include multiple witnesses to Jesus's divinity and who he is. And that's what he does here. We have Simeon and we have Anna, two witnesses in the story that Jesus was recognized as redeem, Israel's redeemer here in the temple. And what, it, what you see here is that in a moment, all of her pain, all of her lament, all the things that she's been walking with for many, many years has now turned to praise. And she's able to tell other people that my redemption has come and your redemption is here too. That God can turn our pain into praise. And I just love here collectively the pictures that Simeon and Anna provide for us as a church. A picture of a faith that perseveres. A picture of a faith that is active in the later days of your life. And again, this is why I'm so thankful to be a part of the church that I am, that I get to belong to this body where I have pictures of faithfulness to Christ from every season and stage of life at my disposal to look at. One of our, one of our goals as a church is to raise up the next generation of church leaders. And me serving with middle school and high school ministry, I can tell you that we, it would, we would not be able to do that without the countless pictures of faithfulness of you all in our church. That do you recognize that a Christian in their later stages of life is a walking miracle? That we see salvation all the time, right? We see it in our kids, we see it in middle school, high school, but to see a God that saves, but also keeps and preserves to the end is a God worth worshiping and a God worth following. And it's a picture that we all need to see as a church on a day-to-day basis. And so that's what we see here. So from a guy who's about to be 30, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Like, thank you so much for your service and your prayers and your picture of faithfulness because it encourages my heart. And I believe that that's why these stories are included in the Bible as well, to show us that God's plan for redemption includes senior saints, the elderly. God's not done with you. He's using you in big ways in this story, but also in our, the life of our church. And so as with, as with Anna and Simeon, they show us what is worth waiting for. They show us a redemption worth waiting for, that to hope in and to wait for any other redemption is a lesser redemption that will always leave you longing and without hope. So now if we've seen that this redemption is worth waiting for, if that's what Simeon and Anna have propped up for us, then we should consider how we ought to view Jesus, right? And that's what we're gonna see here. Jump back up to verse 33 through 35 and we're gonna see the rest of Simeon's blessing. So just as a reminder, Simeon has encountered Jesus. He's blessing them. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And now what he's going to do is he's going to turn away and he's gonna look at Mary in the eyes and tell her something about her son to reveal something to her. He said, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine hearing that? I mean, I know that the angel of the Lord's come to Mary and Joseph and told them that they're gonna be carrying the Messiah, but to, as a proud parent of two little baby boys, I, I just, to be able to hear the fact that through your son, redemption will come through all people. Like that's gotta be like the ultimate parent brag out there. Um, 
But what has happened? They're marveling. God's progressively revealing to them the purpose that Jesus came. And it's to save that which is lost. That he is their promised redeemer. So as the parents marvel at what their sons will accomplish, accomplish, more somber notes come in to play. It says here in verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon turns to Mary and says that your child is appointed, that your child has a destiny, that your child, that there's a preordained plan by God for what your child will accomplish and what, how he will accomplish it. And what is this child's destiny? The fall and rising of many in Israel. In vivid language, Simeon predicts that this child will cause many in Israel to fall and to stumble. And this is predicted in Isaiah 8, 14 through 15. It says, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to its inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So what's gonna happen? The coming of Christ is going to split Israel in two. There will be many who see them as their long awaited Messiah, but there will also be many who oppose him because he exposes their sin and their self-righteousness. There's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus Christ. That was true then and that is true here today as well, that you are either for Jesus or you are opposed to Jesus. Now, I don't know what views of Jesus you walked in here today with. Maybe you are very, have a very general positive view of who Jesus is. Maybe you said, I wanna follow Jesus because I like his teachings. I like the way he lived his life. He lived a life of moral integrity. I really, I wanna incorporate some of his teachings in my life because I think he's, he's a cool guy. And you have this, this positive picture of Jesus. But what if I told you that Jesus came for a greater purpose than to show you how to live and to teach you how to live. The text tells us, see, he came as a sign that is opposed. Now, what is the sign and why does it result in opposition? The sign that is opposed is the cost that Jesus will pay for our redemption. It's the cross. First Corinthians 1.23, when Paul speaks to his church, he says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles that Jesus came with a singular focus, purpose, to die for sinners so that they might experience true redemption, true lasting redemption. The cross is where the price of our redemption was paid, but it's also the point where we come face to face with the reality that we need saving and that we need redemption. And we don't just need saving from the difficulties of this world and the hardships that come with it, we need saving from the penalty of our sin. And that this is why Jesus divides. It's because Jesus exposes our sin and our frail attempts to save ourselves. And this is why you, just can't, you can't just like Jesus. This is why there's no neutral ground because if Jesus is true, if he actually came to accomplish what he came to accomplish, then that tells us something about him and it tells us something about ourselves. 
And that's more than he's just a model to follow. And this is why you cannot be on the fence about Jesus. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. To see Jesus is to see our own sin and the punishment that it requires. To see Jesus is to see him crucified on a Roman cross for our redemption. So this morning, how are you going to respond to seeing Jesus? Are you going to oppose him and dig your heels in the ground because he exposes your sin? Or are you like Simeon and Anna with eyes of faith going to see Jesus as your redemption and rejoice in the fact that a God would break his body and shed his blood for you so that you can be made right with him? Will you see Jesus as the answer to all of your longing and need for redemption? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that redemption has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, for those in this room tonight or this morning who are waiting, who are waiting for redemption, who are waiting for things to be brought into order, who are waiting for restoration, Lord, I pray that they would see Jesus in his glory and his majesty and that their waiting would turn to praise for who he is and what he has accomplished, Lord, that we can have redemption because it's been purchased for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that your word encourage us this morning, Lord, and that it would shape us. Lord, we thank you that we have a redemption that is purchased, that you have been faithful to your word, and that we have a savior who came to seek that which is lost. Probably sings in Christ's name. Amen.